Hey everybody, Luke here, and uh, some fresh, fresh topics for you. Not really, uh, pretty old topics, but uh, some new questions that have come up. So um, I'm just seeing a lot of a lot of good stuff in our Facebook group and on my site in the in the LHR community at LukeHumphreyRunning.com. Um, that free community you can sign up for. But I'm seeing a lot of good questions. Uh, across the board and so it's great for me because it gives me good things to uh, to respond on so um, I want to talk today a little bit about tempo terrain and terrain might not be the right word but um, surface how where you're running where you're running your tempos at how you're approaching your tempos um, and so I want to talk about what are we looking to get out of our tempo runs and how that's going to dictate where we run our tempo runs. Okay, so all right, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, in, my, in my Boston, in my Boston plans, my uh, I have a, a lot of specific hill hill-based workouts. Uh, some straight up hill repeats, some workouts that I call tired hills, some downhill repeats towards the end of long runs, some dedicated downhill repeats, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I don't specifically say when a person should get on the hills for marathon tempos. And I will admit, I used to. I took this out of the plans. And the reason why I took it out was because if I, if I gave somebody an option, more times than not, the person would overdo it on the hills. Meaning that they'd have some sort of hills on Tuesday that was designated hills. And then Thursday would be a tempo run. And I would give them the option. And so they would go do it on the hills. And then Sunday'd roll around and they have a long run. You give them the option. And so they'd go do it on the hill. So they would do workout after workout after workout on the hills. And so people were getting hurt. So I just took it out. And then um, that's why I utilize our forums and things like that. So you can kind of direct that messaging to the athletes every, every season, right? Um, but given that, I know that it needs to be addressed because – at some point, you have to be comfortable with doing marathon pace slash marathon effort on the terrain that you're going to be running on. And I don't mean terrain as far as like whether it's road versus trails. I'm talking about more like, okay, if I'm running a course like Boston and it's got a net downhill, but you're never going flat, you're either going up or down the whole way. Um, then doing my tempo runs on a flat bike path probably isn't going to be the best option to prepare me for that race. Um, is there a place for it? 100%. But should it be every week? No. And that's what I want to get into today. But first, I want to look at what we're trying to accomplish with the tempo. And the first one is obviously we want to learn pace, right? We want to, we want to know what that pace feels like within a few seconds, fast or slow, we want to know if we're close. We want to know how to get into that rhythm of marathon running, right? We don't want to be out. We don't want to go out way too fast and not recognize that it's way too fast or the other way around, right? We want to be pretty darn close to that pace right away. Um, and some will argue that, you know, you're not in the right zone. Um, you purposely skip out on you. But to me, like, I don't, I don't get the zone thing. I don't, I never have understood the zone one, two, three, four, whatever the case is. Right. Like I, I I'm not going to get, I better not, <laughs> I better not. But the, 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 the thing I want you to take away from this is that 
Marathon pace is, is a gray zone for the vast majority of you, all of you. So you're not going to fit perfectly into a zone. And so if you just train by what that zone is telling you, then you will never learn what that pace feels like. You will learn what that zone feels like. And those little zones are very wide range. And to me, it's, it's very oversimplifying the situation. And you're saying that it, in the gray zones, nothing good occurs, which I will hate to break it to you, but um, a lot of races are in gray zones for people. And, and so if you never learn what that feels like, you will never know how to race in that gray zone, right? And so, yes, zones will have great opportunities if you're just trying to strictly stick to some physiological principles. But even then, the ranges on these things are just insane. So um, that's why I've never really gotten into zones. And I understand... I understand trying to simplify, but I think you can oversimplify things too. And I think that that's what it's done a little bit. Um, and I, th I remember too, I'm going off topic here, but I remember too, like, um, what's his face? Uh, Matt Fitzgerald, I can't remember his name, but he had, he used to do a lot of stuff with training because he still does, I guess, but he had actually had like a 10 zone thing set up. And I was looking into that and I don't think he uses it anymore. I don't know why. Um, maybe it overcomplicated it. I don't know. But in any case, uh, he had a 10 zone thing that I, I actually really liked. I, I, I thought that dialed it in. And that's more what we use because we will use things by threshold, actual physiological thresholds, but then we'll also prescribe things on race. And to be truthful, I mean, you're pretty darn close to a lot of those things anyway. Um, and so I think it's some, a lot of times good, good is just being close, right? Um, and you don't have to worry, you overstress about being exact. I think you cause yourself a little more anxiety than, than you need to. But in any case, all right, so learning pace. We want to learn pace. We want to know what that pace feels like. We want to know what it feels like when we're tired. We want to know what it feels like when we're fresh. We want to know how to deal with it on race day. So then the second thing I would say is that how to take, take in your fueling and your fluids in at race pace. I think that's probably one of the most crucial skills you can have. Um, and doesn't seem that important on, important on the surface level, but if you are good at this, you're going to be light years ahead of a lot of people um, and you're going to vastly improve your chances for success on, on race day. Third thing I would say is be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Cause we just said a lot of these things are, a lot of your races are in actual gray zones. They're not, they're in between hard and fast and they're slow and medium. They're in between these things, right? And so you never, it's a lot of times you don't feel normal. You don't feel comfortable. Like, you know, when you're running hard, it should burn, right? You should get that lactic acid burn. You're expecting that. You feel that. And then you go, sometimes when you're running an easy run, it should feel comfortable, right? When you're in that zone, for lack of a better word, that is, is a gray area for training, it's kind of awkward, right? It's kind of hard. It's kind of easy. And so the better you are at that and knowing what that feels like and being comfortable with that and recognizing where you're at with that, the much better off you're going to be. The last thing, which all ties into this as well, is you learn patience because it's not overly difficult for a lot of people. It's, it's a little faster than easy. It's a little slower than hard. And it's easy to get into that hard because you, you're, in, you're kind of in between gears, right? And so it's easy to kind of be go out too hard and, and be like, well, it feels really comfortable um, and then create a lot of problems later on down the road. So I think learning that patience with those tempo runs is so crucial. So there's four things and you can tell 
Out of those four things, what was physiological on any of those? Nothing really. None of those were really from a physiological standpoint. It's really more about learning how to feel, deal with pace, learning how to feel comfortable at a weird pace, learning how to take in fueling, learning how to pace yourself, those types of things. It wasn't really anything about physiological stuff. Um, we're, we're learning how to be patient. We're learning how to be run well when we're tired, all those things. But from a physiological standpoint, what we can argue is that um, is the running economy. With running economy, what are we trying to do? We're trying to become efficient. We're trying to burn the least amount of oxygen at the fastest amount of pace, right? Um, and we're trying to conserve fueling with that. And you become the most economical at the pace you run. So if you've never hit marathon pace, you've only struck to zo stuck to zones, and you're either zone two or zone three, and and marathon pace was somewhere in the middle there, and you never actually ran at that pace, you're not going to be very economical at that pace. And so that's a big argument I have physiologically of why you should put in a ton of mileage at marathon pace. The second thing is spe specific endurance. Um, and Daniel states, Jack Daniels states that there's not a lot of benefits physiologically that differ from what you would gain from easy running. Um, I would argue that the more fit you become, the less benefit you will get from those truly easy runs and that that stimulus has to change. And I've read that in uh, Roberta Canova stuff. I've read that in uh, Joe Vigil type of work that eventually that super easy stimulus you get at that 50, 60, 70% of your VO2 max, eventually that's going to wear off, that you're going to need a bigger stimulus to, to provoke those aerobic adaptations, right? Um, and so for marathoners, you're looking both general endurance, which is gonna come from your easy days, and then your pace endurance, which is going to be coming from your marathon tempos. So a number of, and a number of coaches echo the statement I talked about that just, just now. But easy runs are viewed as more regeneration runs, so more recovery after a hard workout, like a cool down, a warm up, easy day after a workout. They're not really physiologically doing a lot. They're more regenerating you and allowing you to recover so that you can get to the next workout in good shape and in one piece. Um, the biggest, and then they don't they don't necessarily aid in physiological gains to performance, right? Um, but I think the thing you have to keep in mind with this is we're referring to athletes with years of moderate to high volume under their belts, right? This isn't a person who just decided to run, ran a 5K, now they're going to train for a marathon. No, this is years and years of training that's going to kind of, the, the, the super easy stuff's going to kind of shift out and it's going to be replaced with more moderate to higher aerobic type of running that's going to actually provide those types of stimulus. So if you're a, a, a recreational runner, you know, don't think that you're, you're held to just running everything as hard as you can, right? And don't get that into that place, into that mind, mind space. But anyway, the point here is that marathon pace is going to do a great service for your specific endurance in the event while staying below your lactate threshold. So when you talk about 80-20, that 20 is really lactate threshold and above. So we're kind of creeping up to that threshold, but staying under it um, as, as much as we can. And then your strength and your speed and stuff like that, that's what's going to be over your lactate threshold. All right, so um, I realized I went on a tangent a little bit there with, with kind of going into that stuff, but I think it's good if you understand what we're doing and trying to accomplish with a workout that's you're going to make your, your if you make your own workouts, you're going to be able to make them better. If you follow these workouts, you'll be able to follow them more specifically. But I really wanted to get into the idea that of getting on a course similar to what you will be, you will be racing on. And, uh, 
so if a course like Boston is, is a good example, right? So if you, it has a lot of rolling hills, some big uphills late in the race, but it's sandwiched between two sections of fairly big downhills. The first 5K in the beginning, the last four miles at the end, you have very significant downhills, but you have some big downhill uphills in there too. But the overall result is a net downhill, yet there's a, the races like Berlin and Chicago, you'll see scorching fast times. Of course, like Boston is always on the slower side next to, I would say next to New York City is the fastest marathon course in the race. So Berlin, Chicago, London, screaming fast, you go there to run fast. Berlin, or I'm sorry, New York and um, Boston, you're going there for the experience and, you know, get the world major stars, whatever you're trying to do, but you're not necessarily going there to run super fast times. And in Boston's, which is crazy too, because it's, it is a net downhill overall, but you have so many rolling hills from start to finish that it's just not an overly fast, not an overly fast course, unless you get the tailwind at your back the whole way. And then, you know, you can run insanely fast but for the most part no it's not a, a a super fast course so continuing with the boston theme here uh i want to i want to kind of go through some things so the so the emphasis is always getting on hills by doing hill workouts and hilly long runs that's pretty standard for um boston training and that's where people put a lot of their focus on but what about marathon pace runs so let's say you want to run boston you want to run eight minute miles you know then i would bet you uh if you want to run eight minute miles at Boston, I would say at the most zero to five of those miles would range in the 757 to 803 per mile. Um, but you still might very well average eight minute pace for the race. You might be in that, you know, five, five to 10 second window there. You might be pretty darn close and never touch it on a split. Um, in 2006, I ran a PR there at the time, 215.22, roughly five, five, 10 per mile. Ironically, the only split that was even close to 510 was 20 mile 20 to 21 up Heartbreak Hill. Um, I don't know what happened. I felt great going up uh, Heartbreak Hill. I was 510. And I was actually, was that 502 or 450? I might have been 458 the next mile because you come downhill. Um, and you might say, oh, that's so fast. I got dropped. I got dropped on that mile. Hardcore. Um, and uh, so, but anyway, but the point is like, no two miles were, you know, the one mile that was even close was because I was running up a hill and it just happened to kind of fade into that. And the next mile was super fast and I got killed on it, right? Like I got destroyed on that mile. Um, but for a race like Boston or something like a Revel race where they drop, you know, you basically drop you off a helicopter and you land at the bottom. You know, I do have some guidelines for, you know, getting on those course-like tempo runs. Um, my first one is, no more than one to two hill-based workouts in a week. Maybe even less if you're just starting out a segment and you're not used to doing a lot of hills. Like if you live in a pretty flat area and all of a sudden you start doing hills two to three times a week, you're going to get beat up real quick. Um, if you live in an area where there's a lot of hills and you can't get out your door without going up or down a hill, yeah, you're going to be more tolerant of being able to handle those things. But I still would say one to two at the most, even because you got to remember, even if, even if you're used to it, you're still getting more hills than most people, right? So you don't, it is something you want to really avoid from overdoing because you have to think about the stress you're putting on your body and to get from workout to workout, you not only have to do that first workout, but then you have to recover from that workout. So if we're trying to cram all this stuff in, you're never going to allow yourself enough time to recover for the next one. Um, so how does that look like? I say, so if you have, say you have dedicated hill repeats on a Tuesday, stay flat for your next workout. So if, you have, if you're going Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday's hills, Thursday, I would say keep it flat, right? Um, early on, you might not be able to do more, you might not be more to do than hills 10 to 14 days apart, right? So a lot of times early on in the schedules, 
I'll schedule them for about two weeks apart where they're doing major hill workouts. And then we kind of tighten the ship up as we get closer. And then we get into the last few weeks and we actually space them out again because we don't need that stimulus as much at that point. But assuming you're rolling along, that it might be something like Tuesday hills, flat for the next few days, including your tempo run on Thursday or so. And then if the runner wants, then they can go back on some hills for their long runs. The following week after that, so say if they went Tuesday hills, dedicated hills, flat the rest of the week until the long run, got on the hills for the long run. The next week after that is going to be flat on Tuesday for the and then for the first, first few days. So it might be flat for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, maybe we get back up on some hills and we really focus more on average pace more than splits per, you know, hitting each split per mile. And then followed that by a fairly flat long run on the weekend. So you really look at it, if you look at a two week cycle, you're getting three somewhat dedicated hill workouts a week instead of, you know, three to six, right? We're spacing that out so that our body can recover from it. Muscles come back stronger. They come back more resilient and you're a lot more able to tolerate the hills and you're so much stronger on the course. So it's really just balancing out, you know, learning the pace on a flat, but then learning how to work with uh, what the terrain's giving you and seeing how that averages out over the course of a mile, over two miles, over a 5K. How does that average out? So if you have a section that's really downhill, you're probably going to be a little fast. And then you come follow that with a section that's pretty uphill. You're going to be a little slow. What does that average out to be? If it's pretty close to your marathon pace, you're in good shape. All right, so to summarize, no more than two dedicated hill workouts in some capacity a week. If you live in a hilly area, there is a, there is exception as you'd probably be prepared, prepared, better prepared anyway. However, still keep that spacing out in mind. No back-to-back -back hill workouts in a row. So no hill repeats, then a tempo or strength workout on hills. If you're comfortable, you can do a tempo and a long run back-to-back -back because the intensity isn't as high on either of those runs. Let muscle soreness be your guide on that. And I would not do that early at all. If you're really getting into a really that dedicated last six to eight weeks at marathon-specific work, if you want to do that once every three weeks, maybe, maybe you do that. But you still want to be really careful on just sandwiching all these things in on top of each other. And then allow at least two to three days of um, rest. I say rest relatively. When I say rest, I'm referring more to just running on the flat between bigger efforts that involve hills at least two to three days, especially early on. Because you might, if you're used to that flat, you do a hill workout, you know, you're going to feel okay the next day, that next 48, that's the 48 to 72 hours after that, I feel like is where it really kicks in. So you might have a plan, like you do the hill workout on Tuesday, and then you get into um, Wednesday, and you're like, man, I feel pretty good. You know, I think I can go do the temple run on hills tomorrow. And then you get to the temple run and, just, and then just fries your legs, right? That's what we want to avoid. We want to do the work, but we want to recover from that work too. All right, so these guidelines have helped our, our athletes for a number of years. They've thrived on courses like Boston. A lot of people have done really well in their Revel races. Mesa's coming up, which is a new big downhill marathon a lot of people are going to. They've done really, really well on those with some of the workouts that we've done with them. Uh, but the same protocol is useful for overall hilly courses. Uh, the biggest thing to recognize is that hills create extra stress, particularly on muscle structure, and it needs time to adapt and to heal after each session. So if you allow that to occur, then you'll be extremely resilient on race day. You'll also be comfortable with the effort. You're not going to panic when you see splits that are too fast and too slow and not really lining up with what you want to run. You'll be a lot more comfortable with that. You'll be able to trust yourself a little bit more 
Um, and then overall, you'll see that pace line up with where, where you want it to be. But the big thing there is overall, not split by split, you're gonna see a lot of variance in those individual mile splits. Um, in short, you'll know what to expect on race day because you've prepared for the race better. You've not just gone out and ripped a bunch of tempo runs um, at a pace that you're not going to be able to sustain on race day because it's on a flat, um, you know, but you know, that's the other thing too. I'll just wrap this up is, you know, if you, if you do all your tempo runs on a, on a flat surface and you're right at what you wanted to run, but then you're running like a, a course like New York city, that's very hilly and you are barely hanging onto the flat and hitting that pace. How do you think that's going to translate over to a super hilly course? It's probably not right. So you get a false sense of hope. Um, and then you go in there and like, well, what happened? I did everything right. And, you know, it's like, well, we didn't know what we could tolerate on the hills, right? We didn't know, like, yeah, we're going to get first two miles of, of New York City Marathon. We didn't realize we were going to be a minute and a half slow and then a minute and a half fast the next mile, right? And then we, we didn't know how to handle that. We didn't know how to tolerate that. We panicked when we saw the splits. And then our whole race plan just went out the window. So bottom line is it's really less about physiological, but it's more about learning to know what it it's going to be like on race day, right? And then just being able to balance out that that extra time we're going to need to recover from being on the hills, and whether it's downhills or just hills in general. So, so those are the those are the general guidelines that I use with athletes. Um, and I would say just the other the other thing would be like you start out with bigger spacing early on, you tighten that spacing up in the middle to later section, and then as you get into the last maybe six weeks or so, then you'd be really careful with how close you're spacing things. And you put a lot more of the emphasis on just what's going to be the most specific for my marathon and, and, and go from there. So that's how I handle it with, with my folks. And, uh, hopefully that, uh, that helps you out as well. So we will, uh, we will talk again soon. If you haven't already, just please visit my site, lukehumphreyrunning.com training plans, the run club. You can see all that stuff on there. Please take a look at those pages. See if anything, uh, might interest you. And uh, if all else, just sign up for the free community. Um, you'll actually receive a 25% off discount code for a training plan if you've never tried one of our, our training plans. So uh, you can go ahead and do that if you if you feel the, the desire to do so. But in any case, I appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you later. See ya.